Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is a more than just podcast production. Welcome to Spotcast, Season 6, Episode 19. My name is Jonathan Kuline, and I am in Mississauga, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr., live from Seattle, Washington. How's it going? It's going good. So our uh, our, our usual host, the, uh, the magnificent Tim, is uh, away this week, but we just could not resist the urge to get into this great... Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Star Trek Lower Decks crossover episodes. So we're going to go through our usual stuff and, uh, and then we're going to have a good talk about that, which uh, I thought was a really great episode. So let's uh, kick things off with a fact check. Um, I'm reading Tim's fact check, so please don't uh, fact check my fact check, but we'll, we'll go through these. Uh, let's see. He's got written down, Jaime is on the right channel and Tim is on the left. Does that mean I'm the center channel? Yeah, that's a good question. I uh, I feel like that that fact check requires more fact check, <laughs> <laughs> or just a check, some something in there. Well, we can always circle back on that one uh, next time we record. Uh, we were talking about uh, Day of the Jackal on our previous episode, and uh, Tim wanted to point out that Edward Fox played the Jackal in Day of the Jackal, the 1973 film. Uh, we were also talking about the uh, ongoing labor strife in Hollywood, and he was mentioning different people who were talking about their uh, their residuals and, and some of the issues that they've been facing with uh, not not being fairly compensated for their work. And he mentioned Denise Crosby was uh, the person who posted her check from her appearances on Ray Donovan and uh, was was not exactly impressed with uh, what what she was getting for the work that she put in and and how that compares. And uh, as a matter of fact, I actually saw a follow up to that. I saw uh, Will Wheaton posting this week talking about how his Star Trek The Next Generation residuals were really what kept him afloat because his parents apparently took his money when he was uh, a boy. And so. He said he get he got more in residuals. Uh, he got enough on his regi- residuals to live versus some of the people now who can barely make their uh, their health insurance doing their residuals based on the new models. So yeah, big difference. Right, right. And uh, the other person that Tim had mentioned was uh, uh, we've got a story here from uh, Decider where Kimiko Glenn, who was one of the stars of Orange Is the New Black. Uh, was talking about how, you know, she's not really making a lot in residuals from her appearance. Uh, she was in 44 episodes of Orange is the New Black. She played the character Brooke, uh, so-so. And she posted the fact that uh, she is uh, bringing in her royalty statement for this, I guess, for this last month was $27.30. Which, when you compare that to what we just talked about with Will Wheaton being able to make, you know, pretty significant amounts of monies off of residuals for shows shot in the 80s uh that's a pretty pretty poor amount of money to to try and you know scrape together uh to to live off of 
Yeah, the uh, the family friendly version of the title here is that she's uh, justifiably upset that her breasts live on in perpetuity after only making mm-hmm. twenty seven dollars in residuals for that. Yeah, yeah. Now, obviously, that that doesn't factor in the fact that she did get paid in the moment, but. As far as, you know, the way things used to be versus the way things are, and obviously the amount of profits that these very large corporations are taking in, and it does continue to paint a picture of inequity that clearly needs to be addressed. So hopefully we will see some kind of resolution to that. Well, I'm sure we'll be talking a little bit about the uh, the box office and the uh, television world as we go through our, our stuff today, uh, which leads us to our headlines. And uh, Jaime is up first with our headlines. Yeah, this is a really strange, you know, partial week. Uh, as as we're recording here, we're recording on a different day because of the uh, surprise. Or at least it was a surprise to me. We didn't mention it on the show, so I assume it was a surprise to everyone that um, we got a new episode of Strange New Worlds off cycle. Um, apparently, we're going to continue to get a regular one on the regular cycle. And as part of this whole slew of things are uh, a couple of sort of uh, big things that were announced. So we got a trailer for the, not this episode we're going to talk about, but the subsequent episode entitled Subspace Rhapsody. It's the musical episode that I think we had uh, we'd known about but didn't know where it was going to be. And honestly, we were rapidly running out of time, so it had to be one of the... Ne- Next ones, right? And, and here it is. Yeah. Coming on August 3rd with the premise of, uh, you know, space anomaly causes everyone to sing and dance and, and do musical numbers <laughs> in, in universe. So uh, what did you think of the uh, the trailer here? I mean, it, it looks kind of nutty. Uh, I, you know, we'll, obviously we'll talk in a few minutes about the uh, Strange New World's Lower Decks crossover, which was part animated, part live action, and, you know, crossed over characters. We saw our Strange New Worlds characters animated. We saw our our, our uh, Lower Decks characters in, in live action. I thought, that that's it's a bit of a stretch, but you know what? It worked. Uh, the the musical episode, again, I, I you know, I'm a Buffy fan, so I've seen the live sort of musical version of a, of a beloved sci-fi program, and that worked surprisingly well. The idea there being that, you know, a demon has cursed them and therefore they all have to break into song and dance. I'm actually kind of surprised when I saw the premise that this hadn't been done before, but it looks fun and funny, and and boy, I hate to bet against Strange New Worlds this year. They really are on a, a streak. This this might go down as an all timer for this this one season. They really swung for the fences and have had a, a lot of home runs this year. Yeah, I think you know one of the things that has been sort of bandied about as a problem with um, sort of new Trek as a very broad brush. It's not totally true because you know. I think when folks say like, hey, you know, new Star Trek is a little too grim dark. They're not mm. talking about lower decks. They're not talking about underneath the surface of Prodigy. They're mostly talking about, you know, first couple of seasons of Picard for sure. And you know, most seasons of Discovery. And so this feels like it's something that could have been a uh, take me out to the hollow suite kind of episode of like we're gonna do something kind of kind of offbeat and a little bit funnier and is a little bit lighter and i think the tone of strange new worlds has generally been fairly light and a lot more like uh like older trek in that respect so 
I think it hits a good balance where this one fits a little bit more comedic. Um, I'm sure that will be important in some way in the way that Strange New Worlds make sure that just about every episode has some arc uh, story elements going through. Um, so I, I have seen some weird backlash of like, you know, not my Trek. It's like, well, which one is it? Is it Grimdark Star Trek Discovery or is it a uh, musical episode, Strange New Worlds? Because like you got to pick one. It's going to be somewhere in that range. Uh, and, and I think people just uh, maybe like to complain, but I, I like to enjoy when they do some of this oddball stuff. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think they can't have it both ways. It's if it's if it's too dark, then you know, uh, is it now flipped? Is it too light? Like, what are they looking for? I, I don't I don't really understand. I think maybe the people who are complaining should go watch uh, reruns of the Orville and and leave the rest of us alone to enjoy this great work. <laughs> <laughs> what else you got for us? We were wondering, like, when in the world is Lower Decks Season 4 going to premiere? And it looks like it's just been announced here. We have the trailer in the show notes for those of you transporting at home. September 7th, uh, at least on Paramount Plus. I, don't, I assume it's the same day of for, like, Crave and etc. Yep. Yeah, I think that's the expectation. Yeah. Yeah, so not too long. I mean, we're going to get uh, a lot of crossover. So for people who are uh, our faithful listeners, and we appreciate every one of you, we'll go from our wrapping up our season of Strange New Worlds into covering Ahsoka, and then uh, from there straight into Lower Decks. And yeah, we'll, we'll have uh, some Star Trek Wars sci-fi goodness for you for a, a few months to come. So yeah, and it looks I mean, again, it's up until this season, I would have said Lower Decks was a slam dunk as my favorite Trek show. Although, as I said, Strange New Worlds has definitely uh, upped its game to put it really, really neck and neck. But uh, Lower Decks is super fun. And just it seems like the longer they spend with these characters, the more uh, fun they're having. And I thought last season was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to seeing what they uh, come up with. The trailer made me laugh out loud. So it sounds great. Yeah, a couple couple things that I uh, noticed that weren't like really Easter eggs; they were very obvious. So we have the um, the loose cannon Vulcan ensign joining <laughs> the Cerritos uh, yep. this season, and we also have a, a mention from Mariner of like, "Oh, what about that Pike thing we don't talk about?" Which is a reference to this episode that we're going to talk about this mm -hmm. week. Yep, it's all coming together. It's good, though. I mean, it's funny because even though Prodigy and Lower Decks are animated series and very different animated series at that, it's nice that they can bring them into the fold. You don't feel like it's completely removed just because Lower Decks is a comedy and Prodigy was aimed at younger audiences. I, I don't like the idea that animation is a lesser than, uh, you know, irrespective of Star Trek, Star Wars, anything else. I'm really happy that... that you know, Lower Decks is, it's canon and it's, you know, yeah, it's definitely a lighter take on Star Trek, but it's definitely belongs with Star Trek. It belongs with the other series. It's not a, an other or a, oh, but that doesn't count kind of thing. So it's, it's good. I'm glad, I'm glad it's all coming together. Yeah. I have seen some folks on the interweb say, well, Lower Decks, it's, it's not canon people usually respond well what do you mean like where did they say it wasn't and it's like well but animation and look at the way they act it's like i think this week's episode of strange new worlds just really puts that to bed right it says nope canonically these characters exist they they cross reference mm. each other it's not some weird uh else worlds type of thing it's like nope prime timeline everything everything here happens so yeah there you go 
Well, and it wouldn't make sense otherwise. I mean, we always talk about Lower Decks is, is you know, an opportunity for the writers there, the show creators who talk about how much they love Star Trek. It really is. As much as it's a comedy series, it's an homage. It's a love story. It's a love letter to, uh, to, to Star Trek. There's so many references. We always talk about the fun Easter eggs and things that they stick in there. You know... I, I I don't want people to think of it as lesser than it's you know even in this this episode that we're going to talk about in a few minutes it's it's very clear that it's all about respect and love for for what has come before so yeah I'm glad it's not othered I'm glad it's not stuck in a corner what you got next the uh, the nice people over at Netflix have a official trailers I think we've gotten teaser trailers before and this is apparently the official trailer for the live-action One Piece series uh, streaming August 31st. And uh, I am personally only tangentially aware of One Piece. It's one of those um, one of those anime that has like a bazillion episodes. So it's rather intimidating to get into if like you wanted to start from the first episode. Like you'd have to be professionally binging. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that. But you have to be like... I am committed to watching like 10,000 episodes kind of kind of thing. So um, it's so popular that, you know, even somebody who hasn't watched it like me, like I, I kind of know the general gist. I kind of know uh, some of the characters because they're so popular, like uh, Dragon Ball Z or Bleach or um, Avatar, Avatar, Naruto. Like there's a bunch of other ones of yep. like, even if you didn't actually watch the show, it just becomes part of the 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 fabric of of sort of fandom so to speak yeah the, yeah the, res the response seems pretty positive so far people are like feeling a lot more hype about this than they were around cowboy bebop or uh, death note and others that's my question to you is how do you feel about the overall trend of turning? I mean, obviously, a lot of things we've seen a lot of cartoon series turned into, you know, we've seen the Transformers, we've seen G.I. Joe's, we've seen lots of things that were cartoons turned into television series. I'm not sure if I, how I feel about the, the anime stuff, it, just because a lot of it is very imaginative. It's really, really... It's what makes it amazing in a lot of cases is the, the really fun animation, the color... It just is such a specific form of art that doing the live action, I don't know, something just feels like I, I have never seen one where I'm like, wow, that is like, you know, perfect. Now, admittedly, I haven't watched every single thing, but uh, I don't know. Do, do you feel like like turning live action out, turning out live action stuff compared to the anime is is working or is, is a trend that's worth continuing? That's a really tough one because it... It's an area where I don't know enough about the um, like anime to live action conversions because it tends to happen a way more over in like Japan. So I just mm -hmm. don't have enough um, experience with that. But if we expand sort of the lens out a little bit and say, okay, so what about Disney? And Disney's been on a on a tear of like, let's just take all our animated properties and remake them, reboot them as live action. They've they've had some hits and they had some misses. Um, so it it maybe isn't necessarily a, like a, a a bad idea outright. It does make you wonder, like, well, how are you going to make something successful? Because you're 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 definitely going to be judged on 
is it exactly a translation from animation, almost like a transcription of, of animation to live action, mm. which is really tough because you get a lot of expressiveness out of the animation that it would just look weird and goofy nine times out of 10 in, in live action. Um, and yet you'll also have people like, well, if you're just going to do that, then why do I even need to watch this? Why don't I just watch the original? So there's a really fine line of feeling like you're authentically keeping in mind with what people expected, but giving them just a little bit of, of sizzle on the steak that surprises them say, oh, I didn't expect that. Okay, that's actually um, maybe not better because people always feel really nostalgic about the source material but like that is a legitimate new take on a favorite thing this is my mm -hmm. this is my this is my comfort meal and then you threw a little bit of sea salt on it and it just changed it right so, <laughs> uh, and, and in this case the one piece uh, main character um is like a mr fantastic plastic man kind of thing so this is like like hard mode they didn't choose a, a slice of life anime of like oh these are just regular high schoolers it's like nope this is a world where fishmen exist and the main character stretches himself punches people from like 20 feet away like they they definitely had to spend money on this and it's a way harder thing to do than uh, than, than a bunch of other things they could have done so uh, i guess we'll see but so far people are feeling pretty hype um as I mentioned, it is an anime that is still uh, ongoing and has a bazillion episodes. So I'm sure somebody at Netflix said, oh, we can continue making this for like the next 30 years. OK, <laughs> sure. Why not? As long yeah. as people want it. But realistically, are they going to have to condense, you know, uh, more than just condense a season into a season? It might be a few different seasons into a season. Especially if there's any yeah. um, like filler, like oh yeah, I just kind of I just kind of skip like these twenty episodes because nothing really happens, you know that sort of thing that often happens to these long running shows. Yeah, yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. It does look like fun. That definitely looks like a fun series. Mm -hmm. I was keeping track of the box office this weekend because we got our big Barbenheimer weekend. We got uh, Barbie, the Barbie movie, and Oppenheimer starting at uh, the same time. And apparently it was uh, a huge weekend for the box office. So this was two movies combined, but it, they combined to make the fourth biggest weekend of all time in the North American box office. So that's Canada and the United States. And, you know, uh, it was it was... A big weekend, $162 million U.S. is what they brought in collectively. Uh, Barbie was the bigger, uh, pretty much a two-to-one ratio. Now, that checks out because it's a lot more sort of easily accessible film compared to Oppenheimer. And it's also uh, not three hours uh, of, of commitment to it as well. And Oppenheimer is, pardon the pun, a slow burn. I think it will probably play for for a little while in the theaters, and I think a lot of people will see it over the next little while, whereas Barbie felt like more of an event. I think a lot of people were uh, were out wearing their, their Barbie outfits. They did a really wonderful job on the marketing, so a lot of people were out there uh, wearing their, their pink clothes and having a good time. Uh, I went on Monday night to go see the Oppenheimer movie with uh, my son, and we had a great time, and while we were there, we saw countless people dressed up in in 
not necessarily costumes, like it's not like uh, Comic Con, but it was definitely an, a loving uh, effort that people put in to go and, and see the Barbie movie together. Uh, Tim went to go see Oppenheimer on the weekend, and he was posting pictures of of groups of of young women all dressed up in pink, and some of them dressed very Barbie esque. So uh, yeah, it's interesting that you know these are two movies that aren't what we talk about a lot, which is sort of these event tentpole franchise movies. These are original stories. They haven't been done before. They are sort of the exception nowadays. You know, a lot of stuff is building on IP. It's, you know, and then of course there is an IP component to, to Barbie, but you know, there'd never been a product based on this character uh, in the theaters before. So yeah, it was a, Pretty pretty interesting to see that the crowds came out, and not just the crowd that comes out to go see a Star Wars movie or a, or a Marvel movie or Indiana Jones or whatever it is, but this you know attracted I think a different crowd. And Oppenheimer is the same way. I mean, you know, it's it's a very very watchable film, but it's also long and it's you know dense and it's Christopher Nolan, so he's you know slow and and taking his time through it not necessarily something everybody's into and yet everybody seemed to be into it so yeah it was, it was an interesting weekend to see all this come together yeah the uh, fourth biggest weekend all time at the domestic box office is uh, pretty pretty astounding uh, people were talking about this being another one of those movie pairings that like saves cinema yet again right just uh, yeah so um i'm i'm gonna guess there were not people dressed for Oppenheimer, there weren't people in like '40s <laughs> gear. <laughs> people weren't dressing as Oppenheimer, or you know, as assorted things. That would have been um, possibly inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's probably a whole lot easier. Yeah. Like, I'm assuming the theater wherever you went had like the uh, the popcorn special, you know, gift popcorn tin that you could buy that. Uh, it's like bright pink. They probably didn't have like Oppenheimer tins, I would guess. No, no. And that's, again, I think that speaks to the, to the interesting nature of this. There was, there was a ton of, of Barbie merch around. They had a, a lovely, uh, like a Barbie doll box that people could climb into and take their pictures. They had, you know, Barbie branded popcorn tins and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so it was a real event and it was playing in multiple cinemas. We were going to go see the, the 70 millimeter print, uh, the, the film version of Oppenheimer, which of course is, you know, it just means it's in the biggest theater and, and everything. But I mean, it was packed wall to wall. There was no seats. It was, it was, you know, completely full up right, right up to the front. And if you're sitting in front of, and we were in front of a huge IMAX screen, if you were sitting there, I don't even know, like I, it was a lot to take in, but, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting how those two movies are so different and yet somehow worked. And I think a lot of people bought into the like, oh, we'll watch them both at the same time or back to back, kind of, you know, make an event out of it, do the whole Barbenheimer thing. It was, uh, yeah, it was just, it was fun to see. I went on a Monday night. We got there at about 9.30 p.m. Uh, I was there with my son and uh, my cousin. We went to go watch it together. And... It just, there was an an electricity in the crowd. People were excited to go see Barbie. People were excited to go see Oppenheimer. It just felt non-obligatory, if that makes sense. You know, it feels like a lot of the movie watching that we have done the last number of years is like, well, I, I have to go watch the new Marvel movie because 
if there's a new Marvel movie, I have to go see the new, you know, franchise, insert franchise here movie, because it's part of this, you know, Mission Impossible or Top Gun or whatever. It mm-hmm. feels like there's been this sort of obligation, whereas this was joyful. It felt like people were just there and really excited to be back in the movie theater. I think a lot of people were, this was their sort of first trip back to the movies in a while. And, and in timing wise, again, coming out of, you know, mid July, you're like, well, mid July are people around, but yeah, it was packed and people were having a good time. All right, we'll move on to uh, the Eisner Awards. So San Diego Comic-Con was this past weekend. Uh, That's where we got our our great news about all these Star Trek content. And we also got the Eisner Award winners. So the Eisner Awards are essentially the the Oscars for comic books. They are the sort of highest honor that is uh, bestowed. And, you know, interesting stuff. You know, there was some... There wasn't just sort of one big takeaway winner from all this. Um... Tom King, uh, who was famously done a great run on on Batman and a, a number of series, uh, won a bunch of different uh, awards this year, including Best Single Issue for Batman One Bad Day, The Riddler. Uh, we saw Nightwing, uh, interestingly, won Best Continuing Series. Um, I have not read the, the new Nightwing series, but I, I've heard it's really great, so that was interesting. Um, Tom King won for The Human Target for Best Limited Series, along with Greg Smallwood. Um, so some interesting sort of... Uh, yeah, look at these. Best new series was Public Domain by Chip Zdarsky. Chip is uh, Torontonian, so he's here. And so we're always very proud to recognize that. Um, some of the other stuff that stood out. Oh, Kate Beaton. So I had mentioned uh, Ducks a few episodes back. Uh, this <laughs> memoir about going and working on the oil sands here in Canada. Uh, that was a really great read that I enjoyed. She won uh, Best a Graphic Memoir, and she also won Best... Uh, writer-illustrator, which I thought was great to see her work recognized because uh, that's, uh, again, another another Canadian. I'm going to keep shouting those out because we got to do what we can. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was uh, a nice celebration. We'll have the link in our show notes if you want to have a look through at, uh, at all the winners. The only thing I will also mention is that there was also some inductions into the Hall of Fame, which is interesting that there's a comic book Hall of Fame. But, uh, yeah. So, let's see. The judges' choices. Uh, Jerry Bales, Tony Zuniga, uh, Justin Green, Bill Griffith, Jay Jackson, Jeffrey Catherine Jones, Jay Katz, Aline Kaminsky-Crum, Wynne Mortimer, uh, Canadian, Diane Newman, Gaspar Saladino, Kim Thompson, Gary Trudeau, of course, famously Doonesbury, uh, Mort Walker, and Tatiana Wood. And then the voters' choices I thought were really interesting this year. Brian Bolland, who's a... Uh, very legendary uh, illustrator, uh, very famous for his covers. And Nocienti, who was a longtime writer on Daredevil. Tim Sale, the late Tim Sale, who was one of my all-time favorite artists, uh, did famously The Long Halloween, along with a lot of other works. And uh, Diana Schutz, who was the uh, longtime uh, publisher for Dark Horse Comics, got uh, into the Hall of Fame. So, yeah, really interesting list of people. And uh, congratulations to everybody who uh, walked away with comics highest honors this week yeah i'm i'm a little surprised that gary trudeau has uh taken so long to get inducted into their hall of fame is there like a uh, you need to be retired a certain number of years kind of uh criteria i don't think so because some of these are i think are still working people i'm not sure what the criteria are for their hall of fame uh 
I know I have been involved with the the Canadian uh, Comics Awards, uh, which are the Joe Schuster Awards up here. And the criteria is that you have to have been working in the field for a minimum of 20 years. So there may be a minimum amount of time, uh, but I don't know. I don't know what the criteria are, but uh, you're right. I mean, Gary Trudeau, you'd think that that would be a slam dunk, although he doesn't exactly fit into a box because he's more of a cartoonist. And there's a little bit of a, um, it's not rivalry, but it's it's sort of a little bit of a push-pull sometimes on the cartoon strips versus comic books it's still sequential storytelling but it's kind of different mm-hmm. um so maybe there was a little bit of that factored in there i see i see i so that would make sense that he's more uh to to make a sports ball reference he's the edgar martinez dh only is this person worthy of the hall of fame kind of thing versus a pete rose will he ever be in the hall of fame for uh for other you know, gambling reasons. I wasn't sure if there was like a juicy controversy over uh, Gary Trudeau or Doonesbury. <laughs> well, I don't think so. Again, I don't know what all the personal politics are, are for all these different things, but yeah, I thought that was, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, Gary Trudeau has been uh, an influential cartoonist for 40 years, 45 years, like quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We got more stuff out of Comic-Con. We got our first trailer for Gen V or Gen 5. What do you think we're supposed to call it? We never get that down. Is it Gen V or Gen 5? What do you, what do you think we go with? They're using the um, the V compound, right? So I, I interpret it as, as V for the, the compound. It seemed like they were probably giving it to to people or, or this is a school for people whose kids got it and you you kind of do this as preparatory school to become you know hopefully one of the seven or some other professional superhero uh, but i didn't really think about the uh the five angle that you know who, i don't know how long this school has been going is this the fifth gen of uh yeah of this school fifth year fifth school i wonder and that's something we'll have to keep an eye out for is like is there a little bit of uh double meaning behind the title yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, the trailer is everything I think you've come to expect from the boys. So it was bloody. It was funny. It was over the top. Um, and the idea is that this is all set in the same universe. So these are the, the kids who are all, you know, on their way up and all wanting to be part of the seven, who, of course, are the are the sort of Justice League of, of the boys universe. And uh, it does look like fun. I'm, I'm definitely in. Did you uh, did you come away with any different impressions other than uh, uh, sort of separating it from the boys or anything that sort of stood out for you? It seems fun because it seems like a slightly different sort of take on what if superheroes are real? What if they're part of corporations and what would happen? You have younger folks who are trying to be TikTok influencers, like the one guy who's like, I wouldn't pour this on my junk or whatever it is that he says. You know, <laughs> it's, it's such garbage. He doesn't want to, like he should be drinking a bit. Mmm, taste of a new generation or whatever it is that the, the slogan is, but it's, you know, utter rubbish as a product and he's struggling to deal with it. Like that's a... <laughs> A realistic thing that people can run into right like you can definitely tell when your your favorite youtuber really isn't all that hyped up about the sponsor but they they needed to yeah. get the lights on yeah exactly right yeah yeah for sure yeah it looks good and uh i have to remember i checked the do you, do you remember what the start date is it's september i, I know i put I it in there september 29th 
29th. Excellent. Awesome. So yeah, looking forward to that one. Should be a lot of fun. We got uh, a little bit more this week about uh, a new pair of new movies that are coming from DC Animation and interesting ones at that. So they're going to do animated feature films of Watchmen and Crisis on Infinite Earths. So Watchmen, we've obviously seen an interpretation of it as the Zack Snyder version of the film that came out a number of years ago. And Crisis on Infinite Earths, we've never seen sort of a definitive one. We've seen them adapt it in the the, the Arrowverse, the Green Arrow, Flash, Supergirl combined uh, CW universe. But I don't think we've ever seen one that's sort of a definitive interpretation. I will be re- really curious to see how faithful to the source material both of these are going to be. Because... Both of those have have had interpretations that are not exactly bang on and that kind of a bit diminished what was happening. So I'll be curious to see how they come out with these. Are you uh, are you interested in in either of these as animated products or uh, have a particular affection for either of them? Yeah, I think it'll be interesting. I mean, it, it's kind of a weird um, let me feel sad. <laughs> Watchmen is not a happy series. Uh, it, product and crisis on infinite earth isn't exactly happy either so kind of an interesting choice here for them uh some more serious works i'll i'll be interested to see the animated watchmen because there were complaints about some of the changes made to the live action version that probably wouldn't have worked too well if they were a bit more faithful so seeing something that that through animation can afford to be more faithful will be interesting and the Crisis on Infinite Earths is one that, you know, I think that could that could work out really well because that that was such a, a a seminal series that it just feels like it needs it needs animation. I think for this case because we haven't gotten to the point where we can do in DC live action the this is the Infinity War infinity gauntlet kind of equivalent right Mm. so um rather than waiting multiple years for that potential thing to happen might be kind of nice to just see the animated version of this yeah i I, i've enjoyed a lot of the dc animated properties but some of it you know it's funny because you'd think obviously it, it would be a slam dunk to take some of these things like the long halloween or the dark knight returns or watchmen or things that are just sort of these incredibly seminal stories and you've got the template laid out for you you already know it has a built-in audience off you go but i can't say i loved the the live action dark knight i can't say i loved the live action batman year one there's certainly parts of them that i really enjoy but it just didn't quite land for me so again i think i'll be curious to see what they do and don't include and if they are going to go like for watchmen are they going to go full like hard r animated dc you know are they going to really make it as as gritty and real as as the original series yeah, I feel like right. they've not been afraid to pull punches in the animated um, movies that I've seen on uh, like HBO Max and stuff. So, um, will they have blue flopping dong? Uh, I'm not sure if they'll go that far, <laughs> but um, it's not out of the question, I guess. <laughs> well put, well put. <laughs> 
Well, speaking of mature animation, uh, we also got uh, the reveal about uh, the new season of Invincible. So we knew we were getting the new season of Invincible this fall. We now know uh, what the timeline is for that. It's coming in September. Um, But we got a little bit more details and we got a little bit of an interesting drop. So we found out that they are going to put it this season. It's coming this fall and they're going to split it in half. So it's coming back on November 3rd. They're going to play four episodes and then they're going to take a break and then they're going to come back in early 2024 with the other four episodes from the season. They've also announced that they have done the recordings for the uh, actors for season three already. I imagine probably in anticipation of the actors strike so that they don't think it'll be as long of a gap between season two and three as it was between one and two. And they also dropped this uh, interesting origin story, Invincible Adam Eve, that looks into the uh, the character Adam Eve, who is uh, one of the prominent characters in season one. She'll have a bigger role in season two. And so we, we got all that all at once. Um, yeah, interesting that, uh, and that, that dropped right away. So as soon as they announced Invincible Adam and Eve, it was dropped on Amazon. You can watch it right now. So we got a little something to tide us over. And then, uh, yeah, that two, two part season coming ahead. I can't say I love the little two part seasons, especially if it's only going to be eight episodes, but, uh, I'll, I'll take what I can get. Yeah. I wonder why they wouldn't keep it, um, delayed until all episodes are available and ready. I wonder what sort of scheduling hole they're trying to fill there. Because if you if you know out of the gate that like, hey, this is going to need to be split, you might as well just keep it until that second half of the season is ready. Um, certainly during the pandemic, there were some shows and animated shows even that got hit mid-production and they had this weirdo like year-long gap in between Um, an intentional one here is a little strange Um, yeah and it seems particularly strange on a short season right like if you're doing whatever 20 episodes okay fine you know obviously you can split that two and two we saw that with prodigy and stuff but yeah the, the splitting up a season that's as short as as eight episodes is a little little unusual but maybe they need a little extra time to finish them and i mean the show has been great so and I'm, I'm a huge fan of the property so i'm looking forward to it either way but it does feel a little weird to do four episodes it's going to take less than a month and then they take a couple months off and then we get four more it seems strangely spread out but salavi we got news of a release date for the uh, john wick prequel series the continental uh, it's a three-part series. It is uh, is going to be premiering on September 22nd, and uh, it's going to be uh, the 22nd, the 29th, and then October 6th. So three parts to tell this sort of uh, storyline around this hotel for assassins that is part of the John Wick universe, uh, set in the 1970s. So it's got sort of a, a little bit of a backstory, origin story prequel kind of vibe um i think it's safe to say we're not going to see uh, john wick in this one because it wouldn't make any sense but um yeah i think it'll be interesting to to see how they do this it's it's the first sort of real expansion of the the larger john wickiverse um and i hope it does well because i think there's a lot of stuff to tap into there what what uh, what are your thoughts on a the john wick spin-off 
I think I'm interested in the idea. I'm admittedly less interested in it being on Peacock. So I've been, yeah, I I don't know. Actively avoiding Peacock sounds a little harsh, but not wanting to deal with yet another streaming service, even though it's not that much money because it's more like, well, I kind of wish this collapsed into like prime video or Netflix or Mm -hmm. Apple TV Mm -hmm. plus or something. Um, I'm kind of, thinking to myself whether I will, you know, am I going to try streaming Twisted Metal or more realistically, am I going to hold off, see what everybody thinks and then binge it all in one month kind of thing? Yeah, it feels like Peacock is getting closer and closer to the Lopez calculus of a critical mass of things. If you wait for them all to sort of finish airing, you can just sort of get it all for a month and watch it all and then cancel your service again. Yeah, and it's not even like a a traditional calculation of like pricing. In this case, it's more hassle than anything else, which is an odd thing to say for something that I can do from my couch. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, they definitely do make it a little easier now where you can, yeah, you could sit on the toilet if you wanted to and and dial up a new service pretty fast. It's it's strange how that's all worked out. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, got a couple funny things to finish up our headlines. There was a uh, theft on the set of Beetlejuice 2 this last week. Uh, some of the famous sculptures that are uh, that are seen in the first movie, they, they brought back and are using it for the second one. And apparently, uh, they're shooting this movie uh, in Vermont. And apparently, a bunch of the sculptures went missing overnight. And so, the police have been you know, uh, put out a funny tweet that was basically, we tr- we tried saying the name of the stolen statues three times, but it didn't come back. Uh, they are trying to find these giant uh, statues and see if they can get them back in time to record this thing. Um, yeah, interesting, funny, sort of quirky story. It's strange to think that people are, are walking off with these. It says one of them is 150 pounds, uh, so these giant sculptures that were decorating them. Although you kind of kind of wonder what security was like on the uh, the set there in Vermont. But uh, but yeah, interesting that A, this movie's happening and B, that they're, uh, they're apparently, they're losing their sets as we go. I'm actually somewhat surprised that this was actually shooting in Vermont when Canada is like right there. And I figured it would be the usual like establishing shots. Like this happens for Seattle all the time, right? Like establishing shots of Seattle. Okay. It's actually Vancouver, right? The the nearest, you know, closest regional area. So this would be what, like Montreal, Quebec sort of area. Yep. Yeah, I don't uh I don't know what the rationale is. I'm sure just like all other places, I'm sure Vermont gave them some great tax incentives or whatever that made it a logical place to shoot. Uh and there does have to be a certain aesthetic. I will say that that the first Beetlejuice movie did have a very the town looked a certain way. So maybe they just found a a great fit that sort of fit how they wanted to show it. Previously, I can't honestly say I remember where they shot the first one. So maybe they're in the same place. I, I couldn't say, but uh, we will check on that for fact check for next time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wonder if it's a um, double agent move of like, I offer this <laughs> going off into the uh, the woods here. This is a offer tax breaks. So they come to your area and then you steal their items and sell them on the black market <laughs> thus recouping the tax break stuff and giving it back to the people in a really bizarro robin hood sort of way 
that is, uh, man, I think you're giving a lot of credit to the municipal governments of, uh, of Vermont. That's good. That's good. I thought we were going to have yeah. to cut free school lunches for the kids because of those tax breaks. Oh, we, we, we found money in the couch cushions. All those kids That's are right. fed. <laughs> Just don't check our eBay account. Uh, and the last funny thing this week, this one is just the weirdest story. So there has been a lament amongst a lot of people who are frustrated that a number of things that are streaming are not available as physical releases. So, for example, we talked about how Willow, they created the Willow uh, spinoff series for Disney+. Plus. They put it out there. It didn't connect, so they've pulled it off the service. Now you cannot watch it anywhere. So there's still a hunger from a lot of people to sort of protect the things they love by buying a physical copy. Well, one of the things that has never been released physically is any of the Disney Plus Marvel series. So it was interesting to see the headline this week that WandaVision is getting a physical release. I was like, oh, cool. WandaVision is getting a physical release. Well, sort of. They have announced that there's going to be a series of steelbook collectible tins and slipcase versions that are coming out for WandaVision, but that does not include the actual show. I wish I could explain why they're doing this. Uh, we've got a story in here from uh, io9, or uh, Gizmodo, rather, and they have confirmed that they're doing this, this organization uh, called Digital... Uh, what's it called? Manta Lab? Manta Lab is the name of the of the group that's doing it. Uh, for as low as 37 US and as high as almost $90 US, you can own these different types of boxes that are basically built to hold your discs, but do not include actual discs of the show. Uh, I had a discussion about this with uh, my son, and we were trying to figure out, well, what, like, what's the end game here? Is the idea that if you, you could then, you know, uh, if you had a, a bootleg copy of it or something, you could then use the cases to sort of put those in. But it's a very, very strange choice to put out these box sets or these these cases that do not actually include the physical media. What do you make of all this? Yeah, I hadn't really thought about the stick a USB thumb drive with a, a, a copy of one division that you fell off a truck and you discovered sort of thing. Um, mm. I was thinking about it. I was like, oh, okay, I see it as a, to their point, you, you don't have the physical media anymore, so you don't have the, oh, look, this uh, Criterion Collection, Crouching Tiger, it's got a really great, cover it beyond the actual watching of the the medium itself so i could see how this you know you know continues to show your fandom just like buying a t-shirt or having a a funko pop or something so it actually now strikes me as a as a missed opportunity to bring back something that has fallen to the wayside with uh streaming media and that's like commentary so um, i don't know what the legality would be around that but i would love to have like people who worked on the show directors actors whomever have the commentary that you sync up with the actual show itself right where they go okay so start this you know record or cd or dvd or whatever it is like three two one go and you start 
that and you start streaming at the same time and they match up with like oh well right here if you look in the background this is where somebody this is where somebody messed up and you can see their head that we we decided not to cgi because we figured nobody's <laughs> like that sort of thing right you're, there's uh like red litter media has that sort of commentary track where they'll have a commentary for like gremlins to the new batch which clearly they had nothing to mm -hmm. do with but they they sell their uh their mp3 file that you play at the same time that you hit yep. go on your on your dvd or your your streaming media yeah they do uh the the creators of mystery science theater 3000 do something now called riff tracks which is the same idea they basically do uh audio versions that you can play along with movies that are in the spirit of mystery science theater where you 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 get them sort of mocking the movie as they go through and watch it along with you mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but yeah it's a strange it's a strange strange thing to have just uh, a case and they they admittedly they look lovely they're very cool but uh a case is is probably not worth 97 bucks to me yeah that's uh that's pretty hardcore uh for showing your fandom that way it's a little bit of a little bit of a flex i think <laughs> yeah yeah Oh, cool. You have the... Hey, wait a minute. There's nothing in here. Well, that's going to bring us to the part of our show where we uh, talk about something Star Trek. In this case, we're going to be talking about Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Season 2, Episode 7, Those Old Scientists, or TOS, if you will. And uh, Jaime, what have you got for your elevator pitch for this week's episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds? I have uh, Boimler gets timey-wimey'd into the past to meet the USS Enterprise and must find a way back to the future. Yeah, I, I think back to the future was right there. I, I had a similar uh, theme. Boimler and Mariner are warped back to Pike's Enterprise, and it's going to take a lot more than 1.21 gigawatts to get them back to the future. <laughs> so this was, this was super fun. This was strange. The idea that they sort of, they start with what looks to be like an episode of, of Lower Decks. We start on the Cerritos, and then they go down to a planet uh, within the first few minutes of the episode. There is a portal. The portal uh, flares up because of their antics, and Boimler gets sucked through and then finds himself face-to-face -face with uh, Laon and Spock and Pike in the real world. And of course, Boimler, who is voiced by Jack Quaid, of course, famously uh, Huey from the boys is played in this case by Jack Quaid wearing the same uniform that we see Boimler wearing with the purple hair and everything. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's super fun. And from there, it just sort of turns into this not entirely slapstick, but pretty funny, goofy adventure where Boimler can't, resist being Boimler as he's trying to figure out with the crew how to how to get back to the to his own timeline and then over the course of the episode ending up pulling Mariner into his timeline as well so we get Tawny Newsom playing herself as as Beckett Mariner which was uh super fun I thought she was so much fun I really wish we got I, I would take her as a member of the Strange New Worlds crew <laughs> in a second she was so much fun um what did you think of the idea of this and, and how it all came together? I was actually surprised at how they were unafraid to go between the different mediums. Like, it starts out as ostensibly, like, if you weren't paying attention, you know, you, you went into the 
the kitchen to make popcorn and your uh, significant other turned on the TV, be like, oh, is this a new episode of Lower Decks? Because it starts there in animated form. They didn't start with animation. Like, animated Boimler goes through the portal and out comes Jack Quaid. Um, and I guess, you know, slight bit of spoilers for the end, we see the Strange New Worlds crew uh, become animated because they're drinking those uh, those special Orion drinks. Yeah. So it, it was uh, yeah, it was it pretty de- definitely done there. I think that that I I didn't expect that. Yeah, I agree. I think it was it was potentially it could have gotten really silly and kind of it could have been too much like one or the other. But I think it was the right balance of both. I think that's the way I would look at it. Yeah, I think they they found a way to keep the the lower decks characters staying as lower decks characters, not feeling like Strange New Worlds characters, and they found a way to keep the Strange New Worlds characters as Strange New Worlds characters, without feeling like lower decks characters. Maybe a little bit of meeting in the middle, but I think Pike. Uh, it, this wasn't one of my quotes, but Pike made it sound like he was taking care of a child because of how enthusiastic yeah, I think I got that, was. I got that one in the quotes. Yeah. 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 And, and it, that's the right approach maybe of like, you know, you're, you're essentially the, uh, you know, the historical heroes to them, to the, the lower decks crew. And they're, they're geeking out like, Oh my gosh, these, these wonderful things you did and, and how amazing it is to see you, uh, that would be a little bit challenging when you're like Pike and you're like, well, I know what happens to me. I'm assuming this person does too. Uh, when you're the, um, the Uhura of like, I haven't done anything. Like I, I barely have this job to begin with. <laughs> right. What do you mean? I'm great. Yeah. And, and a lot of folks in between, right. We have nurse chapels sort of take on like her relationship with Spock. We have, um, you know, Una, who's like freaked out of like, crap, this dude is going to end up in like a beeping chair, all burned and disfigured. What the heck happens to me if he's afraid to even look at me? Right. Like there's a bit of misunderstanding yeah. there. So I think that was was pretty, uh, pretty, pretty well handled is probably going to be a yeah. common thing I'm going to say. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what'd you have for your best pew 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 in this one? I didn't think of any uh, traditional pew pew pews that I wanted to call out, so I decided to give it, uh, give the award here to the lower decks crew banter, where they're like, "Hey, have you noticed like how how slowly everybody talks and how quietly yeah. they talk <laughs> compared to the much more boisterous, animated, quick Rick and Morty esque style uh, speech patterns that they have on the lower deck show?" <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a very funny. Uh way to sort of show the difference between the two the two different uh, sort of standards my pew 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 was the uh the trying to synthesize the uh the ore that they needed to set off this portal they have spock being assisted by boimler and they are doing this very delicate uh experiment to try and make it work and uh, of course it goes awry and it blows up the uh, workstation that they're working at and uh the the line from uh from Boimler is it supposed to do that he goes no take cover like it just uh, the I thought that was very funny where they just sort of Spock casually walks away and goes and hides behind something as it's about to explode I thought that was both a very funny moment and also a very uh yeah bit of a bit of a boom which you don't always see <laughs> yeah. 
um, Easter eggs. There was a, a bunch of stuff, uh, you know, Boimler geeking out over the uh, the tricorder, all kinds of fun stuff like that. They do talk about sort of the difference. You know, we, we always talk about traveling back in time. You know, if, if Marty McFly went back, uh, you know, 35 years like he did from 1935 to 1955, now that would be 1993. And you're like, well, that hurts. But uh they talked about, you know, the difference. How would they feel on Strange New Worlds crew if they went back to see Archer's Enterprise? And so they mentioned Mayweather as this amazing inspiration for Ortegas. We mentioned they mentioned Sato as this huge inspiration for Uhura, just like uh, in turn uh, Uhura is a huge hero for for Mariner, and Spock is a huge hero for. Boimler, I thought that was really uh, a nice way to sort of pay it forward across the generations in the different shows uh, and and sort of get a, a reference to those characters. And they also, uh, they mentioned uh, at one point the Domjot set. And of course, Domjot, uh, anybody who's uh, an, an TNG fan remembers infamously, you know, play Domjot human, uh, you know, so that one always comes. Every time somebody says Domjot, I, I immediately flash to that, uh, the big giant scary Nausicans versus spry young Picard. Yeah, yeah, they, they definitely had that. Um, I think with the, the Star Trek Enterprise crew mentions, they, I think, also tied it into resolving the plot as well, right? Of having, oh, you know, the heronium we can get is from a piece of the Archer Enterprise that is in this Enterprise, as is as is tradition to uh, carry on the lineage of the uh, the starship name. So yeah, it was it was more than just mentioning those folks. I felt like it was rather intentional to make that part of the the plot resolution. Um, also, for my Easter egg, it's not exactly an Easter egg because like you probably will notice it if you're not really quick on the uh, on the draw here. But I will say it is irresponsible for the uh, folks at Paramount Plus to put the skip intro button on the uh, yeah. this intro because I did skip it because like, oh, because it starts dark, right? I'm like, yeah, whatever, Enterprise lights up. I've seen it a million times. Let me get through this. And then I saw the last like two or three seconds. I said, wait a minute, is that an animated Enterprise? And so now I had to go back and say, oh, they redid the intro in Lower Deck style for this show. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't blame the... Uh, the the folks who made the show i believe the folks who hosted the show saying like that's that's irresponsible give like a a little bit of an extra buffer there so people decide do you want to see this special thing because it's not the normal intro yeah for sure yeah no it's a good call it was definitely uh it was fun i mean again was it necessary no was it like tremendously additive no but was it fun yeah of course it was it was super fun to see them take that you know intro which we've we've talked about as one of the sort of better ones and and uh and do it in the animated style and even they even chucked in a few look looks like a few lower decks jokes in there as well right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i think you had the like jellyfish octopus thingy sucking on the yeah uh, on the nacelles yeah 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 yeah, funny. The um, the quotes, my God, the quotes. This there, you could have done a hundred quotes from this episode. I at one point I would just, I just sort of kind of gave up a little bit and was just like, okay, that was funny, but I can't write them all down. But I, I do have a bunch. Uh, do, do you want to do your quotes first? I feel like mine is is pretty prescient. I, as soon as I heard this one, I said, I bet you this is what this episode is going to end up being about, and it wasn't. 
completely accurate, but it it's in line with what happened. So Tendi, who says not everyone was a pirate, somebody had to make the starships, which ended up being pretty <laughs> important for this episode. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That was definitely a good one. And it um, yeah, the- it it goes in line with like a sort of funny thing where you know we talked about probably Strange New Worlds or or possibly Discovery. I don't know when we decided to talk about, hey, by the way, there's some stuff that this is of an era that would be a little bit problematic in this modern era. And, um, you know, good old wonderful Captain Pike is kind of a little bit offensive from Boimler's point of view of like, yeah, I, let's not say that at the, uh, at the dinner table anymore. <laughs> like we don't, we don't say that yeah. all the Ryans are pirates, uh, kind of thing, right? The, <laughs> yeah. the, like, you know, probably reasonable at the time, but now kind of unreasonable perspective of like, you know, this is a, this is a hero for Boimler and he's like, Oh, I, I didn't need to hear him say that. Although I, I kind of understand of like, well, that's kind of the way people thought back then, and they didn't they didn't step away from that. Again, they kept the characters in character. Where surely Pike would be, you know, very um, reticent to trust Orions because Orions are all pirates. It's all they've ever known from that era, and we know that by the time the lower deckers come of age, that like no, like it's totally fine and normal uh, certainly tendy struggled even with that um that era but you clearly didn't say like oh yeah like orion slaves girls or orion pirates kind of thing anymore yeah no it, it's it's actually a really good commentary as well right like obviously we live in the in the post woke world where you know times are changing you gotta you know change your perspectives you can't you know use the old terminology that you used before just because that's how you've always said it yeah de- definitely kind of uh landed that one well what sort of things did um, you have for I, your quotes i i had yeah some good ones so even just starting from the basics with with rutherford do you think there'll be tachyons i can't wait to measure some freaking tachyons uh just uh, made me realize how much i miss those characters i'm looking forward to the new season um Boimler says, disappointing Uhura would be cool. I wish I could disappoint Uhura. Um, (laughs) One of my favorites was, help, the portal's trying to portal me. (laughs) Which, all right, fair point. Um, The thought of assigning intelligence to chance struck me as ridiculous. That's when Spock uh, uh, smiles and laughs and and freaks uh, Boimler right out. Uh, and the line from Pike that you mentioned, I feel like I'm trying to stop a toddler from knocking over the furniture, talking about <laughs> <laughs> Um In the future, his birthday's a holiday. Crap, crap, crap! Boimler. Boimler. <laughs> like, you can't stop giving away the secrets of the future. Uh, when they go to the bridge and, and Boimler says, well, I, I can figure out a way for us to track the Orions, but, like, you guys shouldn't have this technology, so, you know, how about you just don't look? And Una says... We can't just not look, can we? Like he makes them all turn the other way while he while he uh, monkeys around with the uh, the the station. That was very funny. Uh, look, I'm going to keep this 100 percent profesh, but I was thoroughly unprepared for how hot young Spock was going to be from Mariner. <laughs> that line killed me. Uh, no, no, no. I'm not living off the grid anywhere. I thrive on the grid. I require grid from Mariner when they're talking about having to be stuck in the, in the past. 
Uh, and how am I supposed to have a f how am I supposed to have fun when I know I have to become this universally known, super translating, unflappable, hardworking badass from Bohura? That was again. I like that they mixed in the humor with the 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 Strange New Worlds characters, right? It wasn't just over and over again, you know, Boimler and Mariner. Of course, they had the best lines. They're funny. Their show is funny. They're, they are there to provoke the funny, but it was fun that they mixed in the other ones as well. I guess one of those that I, I, I didn't get the exact quote, but it was like, I think Boimler says, holy Q, and Mariner says, yes. oh, they, 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 didn't, they didn't meet Q yet. They had like a Trelane thing going on. That's right, yeah. It's a good Trelane reference. That's actually, that's a good Easter egg. We didn't, we didn't flag that one. It's good. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then the big question I have from this one. So there, there was an undercurrent of this one. And I think the only point really where this episode got a little serious was around the conversation Boimler has with Chapel, saying, well, we need Spock to be, you know, I think I broke Spock. I made Spock laugh. What if I've ruined the future by making Spock laugh? And Chapel says, no, this is who he's been the last little while. And we, of course, we know that from watching the episodes that he sort of embraced his human side while having this uh, affair with uh, with Chapel. And then, uh, you know, we sort of see the after effects of that where she's sort of taking it hard that she knows that that what they have is really kind of temporary. She knows that he is going to eventually return to his sort of more stoic ways, logical and everything else. Um, so my question was just, you know, is this the thing that sort of starts to slide Spock back into being Spock? You know, obviously it's been fun this season to watch Ethan Peck, you know, uh, smile. The smiles in this episode were hilarious, but it'll be interesting to see if, uh, if we start to see the return of serious Spock over the next few episodes. Yeah, I, I had a similarish question of like, what's up with Spock? Is this trying to make it seem more like uh, the cage, the menagerie? You know, that twisted sort of history of like smiley, happy Spock. Um, is this a nice way to blend in that part of continuity? Um, I, I am wondering if that's where they're going with it, to because they know they have to to set him in a particular spot, but they also were completely unafraid to do, uh, was it last season where it was like last time on and it's a completely different actor playing Pike, uh, and just yeah. pretend, just pretend that this 1960s era TV is in line and in continuity and just like, you know, just, just hit your, your, your TV set. Cause the, the, the reception's coming in a little fuzzy kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, overall, I mean, continuing what has been a really really great season of of strange new worlds it was very strange that they dropped this uh on a saturday evening at comic-con that was definitely unexpected um particularly interesting because they yeah they did announce that they're doing the the saturday drop and then they're coming right back to we thought that we would be sort of a 10-day gap in between episodes but they're coming right back uh, this week with another episode so uh yeah we're kind of ending up a little sooner than we thought we would but uh yeah it was uh it was a fun surprise and uh and a damn funny episode and yeah i think what i took away from this one was i'm really looking forward to the next season of lower decks because i i really miss the energy and it was really fun to watch jack quaid and, and tawny newsome bring that to to their actual you know uh physical performance as well as their amazing voice acting that they do on that show Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, I guess we'll move on to our watch list. Uh, Jaime, what do you got for us on the watch list this week? I have uh, Futurama, which I think you had mentioned before, but uh, it actually came out um, 
I watched that episode on, on Monday, I want to say, is when the episode dropped on, on Hulu mm-hmm. in the U.S., and I'm going to assume it's Disney Plus in uh, Canada is. and elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think of the episode? I'm curious. I, I watched it uh, I watched it today, so I'm curious to, to hear what you think. I feel like it was a, it was a fine episode where it kind of seemed like the main premise was to be a bridge from how the last time this this series got canceled which was not the first time it got canceled um, yeah it was kind of the the meta thing of like you know uh after time gets rebooted the show gets rebooted as well right and yeah you you catch up with um what's going on maybe through a dangerous binge which was the main sort of scheme here of fry uh trying to binge all bazillion episodes of uh, all my circuits yeah <laughs> yeah so it's it's a little yeah. hard to judge the, the the tone and where things are going certainly it feels like the the characters are right in line with what i expect they brought back i think every voice actor that i could recognize and um the the same folks seem to be involved so we'll we'll have to see but i think if you were um if you were maybe nervous about it, it didn't feel out of place. Like if you didn't know that the show had gone on, uh, on extended hiatus, if we called it that, um, if you're, if you're in the future and you're binging right through, um, uh, old man and old woman, Fry and Lita, th- this may not seem like a huge event. It might be like, Oh yeah, whatever. That's just the next season. Yeah. 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 It was, it was, uh, I felt a little conflicted about this one because it wouldn't say it was the strongest episode and I wouldn't say it was necessarily mm-hmm. the best episode first foot forward for a reboot. Although, again, I think if you're tuning into seasons, they're essentially calling the season 11 episode one. I think if you've watched all the 10 previous seasons, it it just sort of it's all going to fit in and it's fine. Um this one was, I mean, obviously they were, they were hitting on a few different things here. They were hitting on sort of the meta of it all really hard. I thought maybe just a smidge too hard at times, you know, the whole, you know, uh, the, the binging and, and just sort of the way that the television works and, and some of that stuff. But that being said, even just some of the silly gags, the, the Zoidberg of it all, the bender of it all and stuff like that. It was just it was fun to have those characters back. Um, I'm not going to I'm not going to poo poo having it back just because I, I dig it. Um, you know, the part where Fry looks into the camera and says, you know, yes, you must watch at least 10 episodes of a series and every series must be canceled every three, three to four years. <laughs> and, you know, again, it was, it was obviously very on the nose, but it was, it was well done. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm glad they're rolling it out slow too. I, uh, didn't know what the sort of release strategy was for it, but it sounds like they're going to do 10 episodes over 10 weeks. And so it'll be nice to sort of have it, doled out a little bit as opposed to just a sort of binge drop landing on us all at once so yeah i'm looking forward to that too i had uh for the watch list this week uh, we mentioned the invincible adam eve special that dropped on amazon prime we both watched that um it was uh, very in in tone with the invincible series but it's been a long time since the invisible series debuted so I, i think even i was sort of sort of catching up and i of course i've read uh, i've read invincible from when it first came out and have reread it since so i'm very into that universe but even i was sort of like okay where are we again okay what had happened where do we leave off and like luckily it really it really is a standalone story you don't really have to have a lot of 
deep memories of the rest of the Invincible universe. It does kind of work as a standalone sort of origin story of this young woman and sort of where she starts from and where she ends up. Um, but uh, it did remind me, I was like, oh, that's right. Invincible takes itself very seriously. It's not like a kid's cartoon. It's not, it's not Lower Decks. It's not having, you know, there's obviously there's some humorous bits in it, but it's bloody and gross and violent and 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 stuff as well so um but i enjoyed it and um, it again it sort of wet my appetite i was like oh man november i have to wait till november to see more invincible yeah yeah i i watched this one as well i also think that it's it's a nice additive thing i think if people miss out on it i don't i mean maybe something in season two gets tied in and, and called back but i don't think you will i don't think you'll be very likely to have missed out on the whole picture um, it adds some more, some more flavors, some more backstory to Adam Eve, and uh, they even did a little—I don't know—was it was it mid credits callback of like, meanwhile, this is where uh, Mark Grayson was at at the same exact time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no super, well, yeah, no, no superpowers, irritating Omni Man uh, on levels <laughs> he can't understand, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. There's a lot of sort of uh, retroactive foreshadowing, but uh, it definitely uh, it is an additive thing. You're right. Like you, if you didn't, if you choose not to watch this, or you don't make the time for it, or if you watch it later on, it'll give you more context. But it is a, a nice sort of standalone piece. Adam Eve, of course, uh, for for the comics readers, she's a very prominent character as it as the story continues. So you will you'll appreciate knowing more about her as time goes on but uh in this at this particular at this point it's it's a nice to have not a need to have on amazon for me this showed up weird um and it is something that i'm pretty sure i've seen happen before where you know their catalog is largely based around seasons right your season one episode one through whatever this one shows up as season 202 which is a weird one, because if you took it literally, it'd be 202. But I think they're trying to make room for the actual season two, and then probably will retroactively give this some designation that makes sense. And it makes me wonder, given the gap that you talked about, so I wonder if any other character will get a similar one-shot as sort of a little bit of a, a teaser going into the, not the season in this case, but the, the mid-season so coming out of the mid-season break, maybe a few weeks before, hey, don't forget, this is coming back. And here's here's like the same thing, but for Rexplode. What was Rexplode like when he got his powers mm. sort of thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, the one thing I really enjoyed about the Invincible story in the comic books is how filled out uh, Robert Kirkman made it. There is a ton of characters. They really built a universe in, over the course of doing this series for well over a decade. They really added in a lot of, you know, really fun, interesting, some of them obviously a little derivative, but deliberately so, homage characters. But there's a lot of characters in the Invincible universe, and they spun off a lot of them into their own little stories and stuff like that. And um, I'll be super excited if they can start weaving some more of those in there and, and give us a little more context. There's some really good digressions in the Invincible series and side series and stuff like that that would make for really cool television animation. So you're right. I think there's a real opportunity there if, if this resonates, but it's hard to say, obviously. 
Last thing on my list was uh, obviously Oppenheimer. Uh, went and saw Oppenheimer. Um, I thought it was a masterpiece. I thought it was incredible. It's it it is an absolutely breathtaking movie to begin with, and then you step back for a second and realize there's not a single shot in the entire three hour movie that is CGI. Not one. That is incredible. Even the because when you the, watch the tests of. Uh... No. The, uh, the atomic bomb and stuff like that's an area where I've just assumed they would go with a CGI route. No, they did it. Uh, apparently, they did it all with practical effects, and yeah, apparently the only thing that is CGI is in some uh, international markets, particularly in places like the Middle East and India. They have added some clothes back on to Florence Pugh because there's a, a scene in the movie where she is uh, she's nude. And I guess that prolonged nudity was not considered uh, uh, in culturally appropriate in some of these areas. So they've they've covered her up. But other than that, uh, if you watch it here in North America, there is not a single shot in three hours of CGI in a movie about the development of the nuclear bombs in the 1940s, which is incredible to say. Um, so all the explosions, all the, the sort of, you know, all the things that happen in the movie are all practical effects. It's incredible when you step back from that. Um, and beyond that, it's just, it's a, it's a real tour de force. Uh, Killian Murphy is an absolute standout as, as Oppenheimer. Tremendous performance. I'd be absolutely shocked if he wasn't one of the favorites for the Oscars next year. I think this one is going to be complete Oscar bait. There was a ton of performances in there that were standouts. Uh, Robert Downey Jr., uh, you know, he's kind of struggled to find his footing since stepping away from the Marvel Universe. And this was somebody who was considered a serious actor sort of prior to doing that. And and obviously he did bring a lot of, of good acting quality to the Marvel Universe, but it's nice to see him have a real standout performance in this. He is a really, really captivating character in this movie as well. Um, Florence Pugh was great. Emily Blunt was great. Uh, Matt Damon was great. Um, there are just so many strong performances in here. And then, you know, Nolan's movies can be a little plodding. You know, due respect to my uh, my son, who's the number one uh, fan of our podcast, as well as, uh, as Christopher Nolan. Uh, sometimes Nolan movies, I find, can drag a little bit, especially because he tends to make very long films. Uh, this one breezed, boy, you know, for a three hour movie, it really kind of moves. Uh, you know, there, there is sort of three, you know, it's a standard sort of three hour, three, um, three act play, but, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's a really good watch. I highly recommend. And, and again, I think I was talking with my wife about this earlier and saying, you know, well, I can't decide if I want to see the Barbie movie in the theaters, if it's, if it's a theater movie for me, but I will say Oppenheimer is definitely a big screen movie i'm very glad we got to see it uh in the 70 millimeter manner in which it was intended by uh christopher nolan we saw the sort of the film version as opposed to the digital version i don't think it'll quite have the same heft when you watch it on a on a home screen just because it is it's big it just feels big and it feels the the size of it lends mm -hmm. to its gravitas it was, uh, yeah, it's really something. Very cool, very cool. And and you, it sounds like you explicitly decided not to participate in the meme, the Barbenheimer meme, which I won't discount. You know, I don't know if it's a significant percentage, but there are definitely people who actually intended to buy tickets for both and watch both. Uh, 
there were uh, analysts talking about that on uh, on TV. So yeah, so the uh, the JPK household decided not to participate in the meme, even if you weren't <laughs> fully jazzed on seeing the Barbie movie. Yeah, I, again, it, it's a temptation for sure. Again, I I've, have read some pieces and I've listened to a couple of pods over the last week uh, with, you know, people whose opinions I respect who say that, you know, there is as much artistic vision in, in Greta Gerwig doing Barbie as there is in, in Christopher Nolan doing Oppenheimer. Um, you know, obviously different type of movie. One's a drama, one's a comedy. But... I yeah, I'm tempted. I'm 100% going to watch the Barbie movie. It's just a matter of whether I will make the effort to go see it in the cinema or whether I'll just, you know, wait wait for it to come out uh on my uh my home screen, but yeah, I think it's uh, again, I I really I, we talked about it a little bit before. I like that they're doing something that's original. I like that they're giving people with a vision, people with creative vision like Greta Gerwig and Christopher Nolan space to still do these kinds of movies. These both were not cheap. They were both lots of production and they are both you know uh again i'm just obviously extrapolating from from other people's perspectives both really great uh performing pictures and great uh pieces of of art and and i hope that they just continue to to rake in the dough so that the the producers who put their money behind these movies will put more money behind these and not just keep rolling out the tent poles that i think they think people want like um and i say this with with respect uh you know the the missions impossible and the you know the indiana joneses and the things where they know there's a sort of built-in audience there was no built-in audience for these other than the you know barbie obviously is an ip people know oppenheimer it's basically it's christopher nolan is what you're buying into i'm glad they're making these kind of movies and that they're letting these these artists be artists and and go big on these things yeah i think you know the whether or not Mission Impossible has a number on it. It's a numbered sequel, right? And, and yeah. Barbie, I'm sure, I'm sure that Barbie 2 is already in production, um, or at least pre-production. So um, it may be the beginning of a new franchise, um, but it, it's not starting uh, out as a franchise to begin with. This is the first one. It still had to do well. People still had to enjoy it purely for what it is. And I think we can just assume there's not an Oppenheimer 2 or Oppenheimer cinematic universe. Uh, <laughs> what was Einstein doing at the same time? You know, uh, even if he appears in this one, which I assume he does, it's like, but what was he doing when he wasn't on screen? You know, there's not any of that going on. There's not going to be a, a, you know, a Disney plus show about Einstein. It fills in the backstory of what was going on in Oppenheimer. We we did laugh, uh, so we we watched the movie. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, my one of my cousins came along with us, and he actually works in the in the movie industry, in the television industry, uh, as a lighting professional. And you know, we always tend to watch uh, whether it's Tim and I or, or, or Tim and I and my son. We tend to watch the uh, the credits because we want to obviously pay respect to the people who who put their work into the to make these movies. And of course, you feel doubly so when you're sitting there next to a craftsperson who works on these movies. You want to make sure that you you sit there and so of course you know we were the last sort of handful of people still sitting there in this imax theater when the credits finished up and uh you know of course of course i'll spoil this for everyone there's no stinger there's no ps scene there's no anything but when the credits finished and they finished and they turned the thing off i said you know 
Oppenheimer will return and Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer too, the Oppenheimering, you know, like it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just so funny how, again, these, these sort of cultural things that become part of your viewing habits where you're like, what, what are they going to say at the end? What's going to be the teaser? And of course, like, of course, there's no, there's no world in which they're going to do that here, but it was easy to, easy to have sport with. Yeah, the the Samuel L. Jackson appearance in the in the end credits yeah. stinger kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure, for sure. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for another uh, episode of Spock Cast. So, uh, hey Jaime, if people want to find you, where can they look? I'm on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. And uh, my name is Jonathan Kulai, and you can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram and threads as at JPK News, or you can find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash at JPK. And we'll hopefully have uh, another part for this episode or maybe a second episode this week. So stay tuned. Keep an eye on your uh, on your podcast subscription platform of choice. We'll, uh, we'll have more Trek for you as they are just going to continue to roll out in Strange New World episodes in an uneven pattern. Uh, but uh, until then, we'll see you in the future. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Spotcast podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotcast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash spotcast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.